200 years ago, over 200 years ago, a man gave thanks to God in very unusual circumstances. He was robbed. And on that night that he was robbed, he wrote these words in his journal. Let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, although they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because although they took my all, it was not much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not someone else. And you and I would say, come on now, really. (laughs) If he was a 20th century guy, we'd probably dismiss this man as some kind of a quack who was about to write a book called How to Be Thankful Even When You're Robbed and then turn it into a seminar series. (laughs) The reason we can't do this and dismiss this man so lightly was that he wasn't a quack. His name was Matthew Henry. He was one of the greatest Bible scholars of the 18th century and wrote what is still known as the best one-volume commentary on the entire Bible. Therefore, rather than cynicism, it forces us to ask the question, is it actually possible that Christians can live like this and be thankful in the midst of even difficult circumstances? And to help us at least take a couple of hesitant steps forward in that direction on this Thanksgiving Sunday, I want to go back to the Apostle Paul's writing to the Colossians. We took all summer to look at the book of Colossians, but we didn't come close to exhausting it. For that book, in in case you didn't know it, has an awful lot to say about thanksgiving. For example, Paul begins by saying, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. Notice he says, we give thanks because we have heard. Paul heard the good news about how the Colossians responded to the gospel and therefore began to live changed lives. And for that, he was thankful. Not only that, he said, what happened to you, Colossians, is not an isolated incident. It is merely a local example of what is happening all over the world. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit. And for that, he said, I am thankful. Uh, Two weeks ago, when I first began to put this sermon together, I got an email. (laughs) It happened to come from somebody in India whose name I had long forgotten if I ever knew it. And he reminded me that how in the early 90s, some of you might remember, I used to go to India quite regularly for the leadership training seminars with my brother-in-law's organization. And he, he reminded me that he had been at one of these seminars and how he had had the tapes from those sermons and he would listen to them over and over again. And then he said, since then, he said, because of the miracle of the internet, he said, I've listened to all your sermons on Highway 39. I've listened to all of them on Highway 27. And by the way, I just finished listening to the three messages on stewardship on your Imagine campaign. And I am giving more money to my own church now. And my heart was just lifted with joy at the fact that messages that were preached in this church were having an effect 8,000 miles away, not because we're going to get any money from the guy, but the kingdom of God is going to get it. And I rejoiced that the gospel was bearing fruit all over the world. And then this past week, uh, also during the same 90s, I used to go to Shackleford, England, uh, to do some work with the Iranian Christian Fellowship. And Sam Yegnazar, who's the pastor of that fellowship, uh, has a passion for reaching Persians around the world. He sends me a newsletter every month, and this is what came this month. We had tears streaming down his face, a middle-aged man asked, Why have I waited 46 years to hear this news? A devout worshipper of his own faith, and you know what the dominant faith is there. But curious about other religions, he had invited a Christian to his home to ask some questions. This was in Iran. As the family waited for their visitor, a strange excitement grew in their hearts. When the Christian arrived, they were all standing expectantly, just like Cornelius in Acts. The Christian did not have to answer hundreds of questions He simply explained the gospel and the whole family, father, mother and four children came to Christ. 
all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit. And you know what? That is true no matter what our individual circumstances are like at any given time. And we can give thanks. But it does suppose one thing. It presupposes that you and I are busily involved in some way or another extending the kingdom of God, either here or in partnership with the people out there. To refuse to be involved in the work of the kingdom here and in partnership with people out there is to cut ourselves off from the source of inspiration for thanksgiving that is bigger than anything that I have known. All over the world, says Paul, the gospel is bearing fruit. Now, Paul goes further. He says, not only am I thankful, Colossians, for your faith, you should be thankful for your own faith as well. For he goes on to say this, For this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. What? That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, giving thanks to the Father. Why? For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. So we're not only to be thankful, I can be thankful because the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. We are to be thankful when we think about the fruit that was born in our own lives as well. Now, many Christians are not particularly thankful about that. In fact, we don't think about that particularly in difficult times. I think the reason for that is that we have seriously gone wrong in our understanding of what really happened when we became Christians. Ben Patterson, another one of my favorite authors, says that when people ask him how you are doing... He has developed this discipline of saying, other than the fact that my sins are forgiven and that I'm going to live in heaven eternally in the joy of God, I'm not doing too well. <laughs> he understood something that we need to understand. And it all goes, I've, I've told you this before, but in other contexts, not in the context of Thanksgiving. You see, we have this prevalent idea that uh, our becoming Christians had something to do with some choice that we made to follow Jesus. Like the other choices that we make in life. Okay, so you choose to drive a Honda instead of a Toyota. Not a good choice, but anyway, that's your choice. (laughs) But tell me something. Big deal. How how much does that sustain you in your difficult times? You chose to live in in a a three-bedroom backsplit rather than a four-bedroom two-story. Big deal. How much does that sustain you in times of difficulty? Similarly, so you chose to follow Christ one day, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago, as opposed to something else. How much does that sustain you in times of difficulty? Not at all. But, but what if, what if your becoming a Christian required an unbelievable miracle of grace and faith beyond anything you could ever imagine and had nothing to do with you? If that's the case, then maybe there is a lot more to Ben Patterson's statement than we can think about. So let me take a few moments to build a case for what kind of a miracle it took for you and I to become Christians. What were we like? Not the Barbara Streisand version, but the way we really were. Ephesians 4.17 says, You must no longer live as the Gentiles do, and that's what we all were. (laughs) In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So, So already he's packed a huge amount of... What were we like before we became Christians? We were ignorant because of hardened hearts. We were futile in our thinking, and we were darkened in our understanding. What's more, says Paul, you love the darkness. For John writes in John 3.19, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We don't naturally like the light. Anytime you've ever in the springtime lifted a huge stone, you know what happens to all those bugs and those insects. When the sun is shining, do you, they scurry away. Do you find them running into the light? 
No, you find them running back into the darkness because they can't stand the light. It's an incredible picture of what we are normally like. Not only are we darkened in our understanding and futile in our thinking, we actually love the darkness and don't want the light. He goes on to write, and not only do we love the darkness, it's because we are blind. Second Corinthians 4.4 4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see. Notice what it says. It doesn't say they would not. It says they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. We love the darkness because we are blind to light. And look at our attitude towards God. Romans 8, 7. The sinful mind is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. We neither can nor want to submit to the law of God in our natural condition. We are at hostility with God. And finally, Ephesians wrapped it up by saying, you are dead and destined to wrath. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Put it all together, and this is what everybody is like before they became a Christian. We are dead in our sins, hard-hearted, darkened in our understanding, loving the darkness, blinded by Satan to the glory of Christ, hostile towards God, not wanting to or able to submit to Him, and therefore objects of God's wrath. Now tell me, how much sense does it make to say you chose Christ? You're right. No sense at all. But you say, just a minute. Don't, Don't be so quick. I did. What about that day when I heard Billy Graham preach and I committed my life to Christ? What about that day when as a little child I prayed in our Sunday school class? What about that day when I read the Bible and I decided to follow Christ? What about that day when my mother prayed with me? What about that day in Alpha when I came to Christ? Did I not make a decision? Yes, you did. But do you know what it took for that to happen? The question you need to ask is, how come somebody like that can even make that kind of a decision? That's the question. You know what the answer is? Enter God. Second Corinthians 4, 4. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why, that's why people who are dead and darkened in their understanding, hardened and ignorant, blinded, refusing to submit to God, not wanting to submit to God, dead in their sins and trespasses, objects of wrath, why can they say yes to Jesus? Because God gloriously commanded the light to shine in the darkness. That's why you and I are Christians today. That's why it makes a whole lot of sense to answer this way. How are you doing? (laughs) Other than the fact that one day when I was dead in sins, hard-hearted, darkened in understanding, loving the darkness, blinded by Satan to the glory of Christ, hostile towards God, not wanting to or able to submit to Him, Other than the fact that God made his light shine in my heart to give me the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ and changed me from an object of his wrath to an object of his mercy for all eternity. Why other than that, I'm not really doing too well. It's when we think like this that there is a hope that we can be thankful. Not just that the fact of the gospel bearing fruit all over the world. Here, away in India and in Iran. And I could add many more stories to that. And because of this amazing miracle of grace that took place in your life and my own life, that we are Christians at all. No circumstances changes that. And those of you who are going to Vaughan, this is why you're going. You're not going because you don't like Rexdale Alliance Church and you're going to create for yourself a nice little new community of people that you can just shape just the way you want to. That's why you're going. Don't go. You won't be any help to them. They're going to Vaughan and you're going to Vaughan because you believe that something like this happened to you. 
And you believe that there are people in Vaughan who are dead and darkened and ignorant and futile and hostile to God in whose hearts God can command the light to shine in the darkness. That's why you're going. And it is this that will sustain both gratitude in your hearts and faith in your hearts when the times get tough. Because church planting isn't easy. It will be difficult. And in those difficult times, the fact that this has happened to you will give you grateful hearts. The fact that the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world will encourage you. And the faith that it can happen again will sustain you in your work. And for you and me who are left behind, look at all those empty seats. There's going to be more empty seats next week. And we should be thankful for that. Who's going to fill them up? You and I have exactly the same calling, folks. It's not just Vaughn that's going out there to do the work of evangelism. And next week I'm going to begin a special series of messages on evangelism. And you and I will do our part only to the extent that we are gripped by this twofold conviction. That yes, the gospel is bearing fruit all over the world. Yes, the gospel has borne fruit in my heart because this is what I was like before the light of the gospel shone in my heart. Therefore, I am filled with thanksgiving even in the midst of difficult times. And I have faith that God can command this light to shine again and again and again in the lives of my employers, my employees, my neighbors, my colleagues, my people that play hockey with my sons and my daughters, whatever your connections are. To recapture the faith once again that this gospel can be shone in the hearts of men and women and they will be filling up these seats in the weeks and the months and the years to come. We're going to be moving now to the commissioning phase of our service as we joyfully commission our Vaughn team. And in preparation for that, the worship team is going to come back again and refocus our attention once again to God. Because if God doesn't do this, it's not going to happen. We're completely and totally dependent upon the God who so gloriously saved us to continue to do the work of saving and establishing churches. Good morning. I'm Wayne Cassidy, and this is my wife, Catherine. And uh, we're really excited to be a part of this service uh, as Rexdale commissions the Upper Room Community Church to have an impact in Vaughan. That's something that's very close to our hearts and something we plan to be involved in as we have lived there for the last four years and have been a part of that community and interacted with the people there. We've seen, seen the need in the people that, that, that are there um, and need to be impacted by the love of God. And so we're really excited about um, how God is going to use the Upper Room Community Church and the community there. We're also here to talk about something that God's been doing in our lives recently and uh, to share with you a trip that he's led us to take to a country on the Silk Road. We want to tell you a little bit about the country, but uh, for potential future security reasons, we're going to keep the, uh, the country anonymous and just refer to it as the Silk Road Country or SRC. And if you want to know more information about the country, you can speak with us afterwards. Um, the country is part of our Silk Road display here, and it's one of the former Soviet republics. In fact, it's one of the poorest of the former Soviet republics. And it, its economic difficulties were furthered um, by the vacuum of power that was created once the Soviet Union broke up, uh, which threw them into a, a civil war for seven years uh, following that time. And so that further served to repress their, their economy and, uh, and their struggles. Um, it's also a Muslim country and is predominantly, actually 98% Muslim. And as a result of its Soviet heritage, as well as its 
Muslim heritage, um, it's had very little exposure to the gospel. In fact, in 1992, the major people group there um, had only two or three known Christians. And so uh, it's really a country that needed to hear God's word. I just wanted to share with you a little bit. Oh, go back to the last slide. Uh, a little bit about the photos that were up there. One slide back, please. Thank you. Um, these photos were taken just a month ago, and on our on our left here, this is a shepherd boy, and uh, often we'd be driving down the road, and there'd be herds of cattle or sheep that would just cross the road in front of us, and we'd have to stop and wait. And uh, these women here, they're collecting wood. They live in the mountains, and for about two or three months of the winter, uh, sorry, for about two or three months of the winter, their their roads are completely blocked off, and these women have to collect um, wood to be able to feed themselves and and uh, heat their homes and, and also provide for their cattle and their, their herds. So it was a bit like a step back in time. Um, many people have asked us, why in the world go to the Silk Road? And a lot of that has come from this community at Rexdale. I think in, uh, in Rexdale there's been such a strong heritage of missions and, um, and a strong commitment to developing world Christians. In Wayne's life, he's always had a passion for missions, but this place has really kept that vision alive and that forefront in his life. And in my life, I've always had a passion for travel and for people of other cultures. And Rexdale's uh, worked in me, and God's worked in me, to change that um, into a desire to reach out to the people of this world with God's love. Um, our, Our journey started a little bit more seriously in February when we attended Rexdale's missions conference. And uh, right here at this altar, we made a commitment to take the next step. So we contacted a a contact that we know at uh, the Canadian uh, headquarters of InterServe. And he said, oh, I was just going to call you. He's like, there's an opportunity with your name on it. Um, so again, God's working uh, in place. And the opportunity ended up being this adventure travel company um, that's working out of the, the capital city of this country. And it's a Christian company, but the owners um, have felt that it's time for them to go back to Ireland. And they're looking for Christians to come and take over the operations of this company. Um, company the main purpose of the company is to benefit the local economy, to provide employment, but also to develop relationships with the locals and to share the gospel. So in September, we took two weeks and we uh, did a scouting journey to this country. And one of the first things that we saw there was the natural beauty of the country. There's just an inexhaustible supply of mountains and of uh, glacial rivers and natural lakes. And we could just worship in God's presence. The vastness of the mountains were incredible. Um, but we knew that the romance of the landscape and the adventure of the travel would wear off over the long term. So our prayer really was, God, if this is the place that you are calling us to, then give us a love for the people. And I think both of us maybe were a little unexpected. We sort of went there thinking, um, well, we'll probably like it and we'll probably come home and we'll have to make a decision and we won't really know, you know what God wants for us. But it wasn't like that at all. God answered our prayers, and I think the prayers of our friends. um, And we really developed a strong attachment and love for the people very early on in the trip, much quicker than I ever would have expected. People are very warm and caring. Uh, They're very welcoming to to strangers and very very open to meaningful conversations, which we were able to engage in 
fairly early on. Um, in these pictures, you can see here is a legend teller. He sits under a tree and people come and listen to him tell legends about the, the history of the place. Um, these people work in a bakery and they provide fresh naan bread every day. This lady is in a marketplace selling fruit. These boys are in a madras, which is an educational place where they would learn about the Quran, like a school for, like a Bible school. And these boys, instead of uh, squeegee boys coming up to your car window, these boys come up to your car window with a bag of apples, selling apples to raise money. We also had the opportunity to worship with a local church. And as Wayne said, about 13 years ago, there were only a couple of local believers. But we were able to be witnesses to the work that God has done. And we were able to worship and praise God with this church that he has raised up of local people. We really felt a warmness and a closeness there, uh, a real brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ, and a real lay-down-your-life-for-your-friends concept in this church. Um, this particular church was started by the owners of the, of the travel company, um, but they've since turned it back over to the local people, so it's self-sustaining. I know many people in this church have, have spent a lot of time praying for the Silk Road, and so we want to encourage you that we saw the answers to many of your prayers, and we want to encourage you to continue to pray. During our time there, um, we were able to see how God has worked in many different ways. Um, as Catherine mentioned, we were able to experience the local church there and how God has really revealed his power and has used that to glorify his name and accomplish his purposes there. Um, one of the most impactful stories uh, upon us, we were traveling with a, a local guide, and he had grown up in a Muslim family, but he... Um, through a, a dream, a vision of God, of Jesus revealing himself to him, he, and through the, the love of local believers, he became a Christian. But when he did so, he experienced a, a great deal of persecution from his family. In fact, his uncle even chased him with a knife. Fortunately, he, he was a little faster than his uncle. But uh, God has amazing ways of, of continuing his redemptive process because he then spoke to his uncle through a dream. And... Today, his uncle is the pastor of that local church that we showed you. So that's fantastic. We're also witnesses to how God is working through many international believers who have come to the country and have been able to really reach out to the lowest of society and to those who have been rejected and, and to provide hope and, uh, and God's love um, in their lives. We also saw how they've been active in volunteering in agricultural and economic development. And uh, we really saw how there is a place and there really is a need um, to reach out and to love these people with God's love and uh, saw ways in which God could use us to do that as well. One thing that we've learned is that in seeking God's direction, it's best to join him where he is already at work. And we believe that, that God is at work in Vaughan and we're excited about the things that he's going, going to be doing and has already started to do through the Upper Room Community Church there. And that's why we've chosen to be a part of it, and we're excited about our continuing involvement there. But our involvement may look a little different, or take a different form. As a result of what we've seen and what God has been doing in our hearts through this trip, we've decided to pursue this opportunity and to start the application process that could see us moving to the Silk Road country in the next year or so. As people that have so richly benefited from the wonderful heritage of world Christians, uh, here at Rexdale, we really want to see that heritage passed on to Upper Room Community Church. We're really excited about that and excited about the possibility of God using people from Vaughan to impact the rest of the world in the way that he's used people from this church to impact the world. 
So we're really excited about being an extension of Upper Room Community Church to a world that needs God's love. Thank you. see that God is already stretching us at this new church to to go beyond ourselves and uh, and uh, even send some of the people that we love uh, to continue God's work overseas. Um, I'm going to try to get through this a little better than I did last night. Um, hopefully no one has to rush me up Kleenexes. Uh, I asked for the opportunity to speak briefly at this service today, not to, so much to talk about Upper Room Community Church, uh, but to thank you, the congregation of Rexdale Alliance. I truly consider myself a son of this church, spending the first 30 years of my life here. I haven't done the math, but if you added up the hours, I'm sure it would amount to a good part of those 30 years. Whether it was flannel graph Sunday school lessons from Mabel Smith, uh, AYT, which was the junior high at that point, you guys have much cooler names for these things now, AYF, which is senior high, scavenger hunts, pizza parties, countless games of sardines that covered every corner of this church, Broken windows from playing road hockey and wall ball. Uh, climbing on the roof to retrieve lost tennis balls. Loitering for hours in Lawrence Jansen's office, who's our youth pastor at the time. Band practices with Stephen Heathcock. Upper room services. Weekend worship teams. <clears throat> and in the last few years, sitting in the sanctuary after Saturday night service, talking and talking until Marvin flicks the lights and tells us it's time to go. I was dedicated in this church, baptized in that tank, have prayed and sung thousands of words to God and offered my life to him again and again at this altar. I met and married my wife here and have now started a family. I've had the opportunity to grow in my faith alongside my closest friends and have discovered and used my spiritual gifts here. And for all that time, I have to say, I never felt like I was doing God a favor or helping him out. I was just having the time of my life. First, I just want to give glory to God for all these blessings. From my heart, I want to thank you, the people of Rexdale Alliance Church, for creating an environment where all this could happen. Not just for me, but for all of us that are now going to Upper Room Community Church. So many of you taught us and our kids in Sunday school and youth group. You served us at church banquets and alpha suppers, allowed us to use our gifts, often imperfectly, even on this platform mentored us, prayed for us, encouraged us, and now with the Imagine campaign even giving to us. For many of us at Upper Room Community Church, the biggest risk God has ever asked us to take is to leave this church and all of you. Are we excited to go? Yes. Are we believing God will do more than we can ask or imagine? Yes. Does it hurt to leave? Because of our love for you, for the pastoral staff, and all that this church has come to mean to us. <clears throat> so on behalf of those of us that are going, thank you so much for loving us and raising us up in the Lord. It is because of your love for us and your love for this church, the Bride of Christ, that we are going to be imitators of that love in another part of this city. 
I encourage you to keep serving in love the next generation of church planners that God will call from this place. Thank you and God bless. That's why this church plan for me has been a bittersweet experience as well. <coughs> Those of you who have been at commissioning services like this before will know what's going to happen next. I'm going to give Andre a charge, uh, and then he's going to respond. And then after that, we're going to have the, those who are going to the upper room church come and stand here behind them and their, in front of them and their family. And then I'll invite the staff and the elders to gather behind them, and we'll pray a commissioning prayer for them. <coughs> I said this to you last night, but it hasn't lost any of its power. You know, you and I are very different in many different ways. You know, we have different gifts, we have different passions, a lot closer when it comes to temperament, and yet we have some differences there. But as I said to you, from next week, you and I are going to be the same in one area. You're going to lead a church along with your leadership team, as I do here. There are principles and truths in God's word that have sustained me that transcend differences, individual differences. I've never known these principles to be violated by some leader that he or she hasn't regretted it. I've never known a leader to honor them that he or she hasn't rejoiced in it and and been blessed by others. It comes from a passage of scripture that for me has been totally foundational in my whole ministry and life. In the first six years of my ministry at Rexdale, Uh, which seems eons ago, every Sunday I used to pray my way through this passage, Isaiah chapter 55. (coughs) And he begins by saying, Why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your labor on what doesn't satisfy? You're going to work very hard, I know that. But what's important is that you do not spend that hard work for nothing. And he goes on to say, Therefore, come, come, listen to me, that your soul may live. Come, let me feed you. Feast, feast on the abundance (coughs) that I have for your soul. And Andre, the greatest gift that you can give to your congregation is a soul that is alive in God. And Esther talked to us this morning. Worship, obviously, is going to be an, an integral part of that. And so just give him your heart every day in worship. You know? And just, uh, uh, as I said, I never had a voice to sing, but I always had a song since I became a Christian. And I want to bless you with a song in your heart that will enable you to give that heart back to God. You know, when you're alone in your study or your version of the ravine, whatever that will be, whatever that is, just don't be afraid to belt out your voice and lift it up to God. We're in good company. Jonathan Edwards used to do that in the woods every often, often. Only he used to go there on horseback. You know. And then um, Calvin Miller, one of my favorite authors, said, he says, the one thing that will always be obvious to a congregation is the devotional life of the pastor. He or she will never be able to hide it from their church. And so, give them that gift of knowing that you have a heart of devotion after God. And then, whatever He feeds you, you feed them with that. That will be the living bread, manna. Remember what happened to yesterday's manna? When they stored up yesterday's manna, except for the Sabbath, it became worms the next day. It it stunk. But today's manna always feeds people. And so you just go to God every day for fresh man. And then he says, if you do that, he says, I promise you three things. He says, I'll make you a witness, I'll make you a leader, and I'll make you a commander. The witness's job, as you know, is simply to tell it like it is. A witness doesn't have to make up information. In fact, they get chastised for that. They simply have to tell it like it is. So whatever God shows you about life, about the world, 
about your own heart, about their heart, about how to do ministry, whatever it is he shows you, you tell them. Be a faithful witness. And then it's up to God what he does with that. And then secondly, he says, be, be the kind of leader that people can follow in the sense that they understand. Clarity is just as important. A witness, a witness mumbles, no one can hear. There's not much point. You know, he says, if a trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who will go to battle? And so, whatever it is that he gives to you, I've found I've also had to work very hard to ask myself, how can I best communicate? You will be communicating to a very different culture than I've had to. And so you will communicate the message probably in different ways. <clears throat> but it is still the same message. But do it in a way that is clear. So people will at least know what you are asking them to do. But then most important of all, he says, I will not only make you a witness, I will not only make you a leader, <clears throat> I will also make you a commander. That has to do with authority and influence. And when you live this way, when you feed people what God has fed your soul, you'll never have to order them. They'll want to follow you. Our, our good esteemed elder Frank Buchanan has always said, a leader that nobody's following is only taking a walk. It's okay to walk alone in the ravine, but when you're leading a church, you better have people who are behind you. But God's promise is they will follow you, you know, if you do that. And so how does, how does that happen? He says, your thoughts are not my thoughts, my ways are not your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my thoughts and ways above yours. And, and I've captured this for myself in one phrase. Wait upon God for the grand exchange. The grand exchange to take place. Every day before I step in, every Sunday before I step into that pulpit, I have to have gone through the process where I say, God, are these your thoughts and your ways? Or are these my thoughts and my ways? You need both of them. You need his thoughts and then you need his ways in which to accomplish. God's work done in man's ways is equally destructive. But God's thoughts and God's ways <coughs> will be a blessing. And then the joyful promise at the end of that. He says, if you live like this, you will go out with joy. You will be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will break into shouts of joy before you. The trees of the field will clap their hands. And he says, instead of the thorn bush, prickly, hard, hurting, will be the fragrance of the pine tree. Instead of the briar, also equally prickly, will be the myrtle, which, which is fragrant, which is blessing. And that speaks of transformation. You will be blessed with transformed lives before you. That will be an everlasting sign for the Lord's renown. That's why this passage is so foundational. And I would just exhort you to live there and be that kind of a teacher and leader to your congregation. You've heard from Wayne and Catherine and from Vijay. And I think in many ways they embody much of what I want to say to you, so I won't repeat their words necessarily, but it's just exciting to be able to be a part of a team like God has brought together, to be able to see Wayne and Catherine, who perhaps may be uh, are the first missionaries that will go out from the upper room not long after upper room is born. Amen. You know, a little over eight years ago, Andrea and I stood on this platform being commissioned as your youth pastor, uh, and I remember many of the words that Sunder said, and, and even the after he, he did the commissioning, he gave me his, his notes, and I posted those on the bulletin board just above my desk. And often I would look at those, and they would help shape wh what I would do, how I would think, and just, I would just kind of go back to that original charge that Sunder had given me. When we were up here, you know, eight years ago, we had no kids, we had no house, and we had never had the privilege of serving in a healthy church. Now, we have two beautiful little boys we have a house in the city of Maple where we'll be ministering in Vaughan. And we've had an, the awesome privilege of being a part of this church for more than eight years. 
Last night I shared, and I just said, when we came here, I had felt like I had been put in this box. I felt like an eagle that was put in this box with the lid taped down shut. And when I came here, I felt like Cinder took the lid and opened the lid. And for the first time, I was able to really fly, to just be able to to feel what the wind felt like under my wings and to do what God had called me to do. And I was able to grow and to learn here at Rexdale. And there's been some incredible times that I've experienced here, some difficult times too, but God has used all of those to shape who I am today and to prepare me for what he has for me and for the rest of the church. So I guess the first thing I want to say is just thank you for the last eight years. Thank you for the mentorship, for the encouragement, for the lessons, for all of the the different things that you have taught me. It will provide and has provided a foundation and a legacy for me and my family and for the Upper Room Community Church as we go out from this day forward. I've been reflecting a lot about Abraham when God called him uh, to go to the promised land, to leave his native country, his relatives, father's family, everything that he knew that was familiar. And I thought, wow, like that must have been an incredible process. But it just says like God says, leave all of this. And then the next verse just says, so he went. And I'm thinking there must have been a like between, you know, the period and the beginning of the next verse, there must have been a lot of thought process that went on in there because I'm sure it wouldn't have been that easy. And as I've wrestled through this, I've just realized, God, it's very difficult to leave what's familiar, to go into the unknown, to go to what God has called you to. I'm a risk taker by nature. But even on the edge of this launch, I realize how difficult it is to step into the unknown. But I wouldn't miss it for the world. And I realize that what God will do is far greater than even what we've experienced here because God continues to build upon his church for his glory. And so I want to encourage you today as Rexdale Alliance Church. Some of you may say, well, we get to stay here and we don't have to step out, but that's actually not true because we're all stepping out. We're all stepping forward. We just happen to be stepping out in Yvonne. You as Rexdale will be stepping out into what God has planned here at Rexdale for the next generation, for, for whatever he's going to do next. So never fail to follow God because of what you may leave behind. Don't get stuck looking at, oh, we like the way it was, or we always used to do it this way, but continue to move forward and say, Lord, where is it that you will call us to go and be faithful to that? The benefits will always outweigh the cost. So I just want to encourage you, keep on going. Five years ago, the leadership team made a decision to become a church planting church. And today, with our commissioning, the first step of that is becoming fully realized. And I want to encourage you as a church, become a church of many churches. Become a mother who has many children, many baby churches over the next several years. Don't wait another five years to plant the next church. But in fact, do it in the next two years. From our demographic study, when we were looking to plant in Vaughan, Mississauga was the obvious second choice. So you don't even have to do a lot of pre-work on it. It's kind of already there. Just move ahead. I mean, I can leave and you can do something else. That's up to you. But I just want to encourage you. Keep on going. Keep planting churches. When you have children, there's obviously postpartum issues that happen. Sometimes the body has to heal. Sometimes there needs to be some emotional healing. So take the time you need to heal. But make sure you get back out there and continue to do what God has called you to do. Don't just stop at one. Don't give up. Zechariah chapter 8 uh, is the portion of scripture that I used as the base for my sermon, my last sermon at, at Upper Room on September 25th. And again, as I was reflecting, I just thought, 
verse 9 was so appropriate for this morning. Verse 9 says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. Take heart and finish the task. It would be easy to think that this weekend and next weekend with the launch of this church, we're saying, oh, we've done what we've been called to do. This is not the end. This is the beginning. This is the starting line. God says, take heart and finish the task. God has called Rexdale Lions Church to step forward and to complete what he has called her to do. And all of you are a part of that. It can only happen when all of you together uh, embrace what God has called you to do and move in that direction. I want you to imagine with me the result of that obedience and what God can do. The result of perhaps planting a new church every two years. Imagine in the year 2013 on your 50th anniversary that we would have a celebration similar to what we had a few weeks ago, but rather than just having 800 people uh, in one location, which was an absolutely fabulous event if you were there, and if you missed it, it's too bad, you need to be there next time. But imagine more than, imagine several thousand people there this time. Not just from Rexdale, but from Rexdale and all of the churches that Rexdale has planted, that all of us would gather together in one huge celebration. And the stories that are told are told about lives that have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. More than half of the people who would be in that gathering are people who did not know Jesus Christ today, but will know him then because you as a church were faithful to follow what God had called you to do and to plant more churches in the local communities so that way everybody had an opportunity to go to a church close to them that taught them to love God and to serve others. Imagine, imagine the missionaries that we send out from this church and from each little church, some of them able to come back and visit with us and to share what God had been doing, some of them sending uh, emails or even uh, videograms. Who knows what the technology will be then? And, and just imagine the stories that will be told, and we'll be able to have this massive celebration, and we can say, I was there at the starting line. I was there in 2005 when we commissioned our first church in this whole series. And when we had that, that Imagine campaign, when God moved us forward and I embraced that and I was a part of that. And God, thank you for letting me be a part of that. Brothers and sisters, this is the vision that God has called us to. And I just want to encourage you, don't get left behind in that. It would be really easy to sit in the pew and just to kind of put in your hour and a half every Sunday and to really never get involved. But what will happen is you'll miss out on what God really wants you to do. So as I leave you today, I ask you, pray for us. Pray for me, my family. Pray for the leadership team and all of those who will be going to Vaughn. Pray for those in Vaughn who do not yet know Christ, who will come to know him through our ministry there. But as well as praying for us as a good parent, come around sometimes. Visit, right? Send some money. (laughs) But be involved in the life of your child and your children. And together we'll be able to grow and to learn and to just to celebrate the joys. Again, I just I thank you for the incredible privilege of being a part of today and a part of the future. And I look forward to this incredible journey that God has called us on. And I look forward to coming to your 50th anniversary and celebrating with you. We're going to do the benediction slightly differently. Uh, the, the closing song that the worship team is going to lead us 
is actually a song of affirmation. And I'm going to ask the whole Vaughan Church team to remain here during the complete singing of that song. Because that song, I Will Not Be Shaken, is a magnificent affirmation. And as we are all singing it, they will sing it as an affirmation and you and I will sing it as a blessing. That those things may become true. And at the end of that song, they will process outward and then we can join together. Okay, I'm going to have Chris Permala, one of our elders, leaders in the commissioning prayer. Okay, let's, come on. This gestation period for him and for many of these people has been years and in some cases eight years or Mm. 30 years. Mm. But we thank you, dear Father, that that which has been conceived in this womb has been conceived in the very heart of God. And that that which is being given birth to is the birth of a living organism. I pray, dear Lord, that those organs that have been developed during this gestation, as they come out of the womb and live on their own, we ask you, dear Father, that you will pour your blessing upon each one of those organs, that they would perform to their optimal use, dear Father. And I pray during the growth phase that you will grant to them your strength, your grace, dear Father. Lord Jesus, and I pray for the Corneliuses that are in the city of Juan. Those whose hearts you have prepared, those whose prayers and arms have come as a memorial before you, those that do not even know you at this time, that you would give to Andre, to the leadership of one, and to those that are around, that are part of this congregation, dear Father, those supernatural experiences where the heaven will be opened and that you will direct them, direct them, dear Father, to the appropriate people. Lord Jesus, and we ask you, when they are ministering to this postmodern generation, that you would use, dear Father, the, the same methods that you have used over the past 2,000 years to bring people to yourself. Lord Jesus, and our prayer this morning for this congregation is that you will appear in their, in their services week after week, dear Father. Lord, I am reminded of that time when you came to the synagogue and found that woman with a uh, man with a withered hand, or when you found the woman with a bent back. Dear Father, you were not merely sitting there, but that you uh, acted on that. And I pray, dear Father, that you would uh, be with them and that you would perform through them and in them miracles, dear Father, of changing hearts, of transforming people, of uniting broken homes, dear Father. And I pray, dear Lord, the bringing back to you the hearts of the children and hearts of the parents back to the Father God, I pray. Dear Lord Jesus, and as we are left behind here, we ask you that you would give to us the grace and the strength and the wisdom, dear Father. How we, as we proceed, dear Father, give to us uh, guidance and wisdom, dear Father, to go out to the community and bring people in. And we ask you, dear Lord, as we partake in this uh, work that you are doing, Lord, that we would become more like you. And we pray a special blessing on Andre, Andrea and Paul and uh, Joshua that you will bless them. Lord Jesus, we pray that the blessing that you have given in your word 
no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, because this is the heritage of them that follow you. And may this be true in all the leadership lives of the leaders as well, with their young families, that your protection be upon them. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. May you, may you go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Go ahead.